What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. What is up, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you without my co-host Adam Frommel this time. I am, however, super pleased to be joined by fellow Blue Wire podcaster and co-host specifically of the Timeline podcast about the Phoenix Suns, Mike Vigil. Uh Mike Vigil, sorry. I told you I was gonna like mess it up out of like <laughs> thinking about it too much. Um you can follow him on Twitter if you are not already at Protected Pick, spelled exactly as it sounds. If you cannot tell from that intro, we are going to be diving deep into the Phoenix Sun, so get ready. But first and foremost, Mike, how are you doing? I'm really good. I'm really excited to talk about this team. As we were talking a little bit before we started recording here, there's a lot of intrigue in the Suns this offseason, so I'm, I'm excited that people care. That, that, that's a lot that more than previous offseasons, I think. Well, this is like a referendum on nothing, but I'm... Our content plan here is like it has to shift because we thought we had through January to go into Uh deep dives with all 30 teams. And now I'm at a point where like, well, we're going to have to consolidate some of these outlooks and I'm going to do the singular dives on the teams that I find most interesting. And the Suns were like, they made the cut of a team that does that because they're so, and I sent you the outline of questions I want to talk to you about. There's just so many different directions this offseason alone could go. And then you also just have to weigh it against like what Mm -hmm. that actually means for next season in the context of not just their future, but competing in the Western Conference. Yeah. And, you know, I want to ask you, is that specifically bubble related or do you think you would have the same interest without that 8-0? Because I do think, and it's okay if it's because of the bubble for the record, but I'm just curious. I don't think it is. So I think maybe it's more optimistic um, leaning because of the bubble, but I always would have been fascinated by them because I don't necessarily think, and I mean, this touches on what I was first going to ask you is how the performance like impact in the bubble impacted how they're going to try to build this team immediately. But I just feel like that sense of urgency, even knowing there's going to be, you know, let's say 12 to all 15 teams in the West trying to compete for the playoff spot. I don't think them going, you know, four and four in the bubble, two and six in the bubble, not even making the bubble um, would have thrust them into a different sort of timeline. They've already maxed out Devin Booker. They spent on Ricky Rubio. DeAndre Ayton is is really good now. And so from my point of view, it felt like they were going to be trying to be good all along. And I think Mm -hmm. the, the lack of spending power in this market and flexibility among teams is actually probably what makes them more fascinating than anything else. Yeah, I, you know, I agree with that. And I think it's just interesting because the 8-0 thing, it's it's set expectations different for so many different people. I think James Jones, to his credit, said that he's not going to let what happened at the bubble dictate how they run this offseason, which in my opinion is the right approach. As good as it was, 
the situation was so unique and so different from what any season is going to be like going forward that you can't read too much into like every single thing that happened specifically mm-hmm. in that bubble. So, uh, but for a lot of people now, they just expect the playoffs if they even like stood pat and didn't make a lot of moves, which I think could happen, but maybe it won't. And I know we're going to get into that. Yeah. And so like, that's the, you know, and we'll go deeper into the, the postseason, like throughout or the off season, excuse me, throughout this podcast. But like, what are they, like what type of player away are they from being a foregone conclusion playoff team? Or are they more than one player away from entering that territory? So that's a very interesting question that would garner a lot of different answers depending on who you talk to. I think like if you like a lot of people talk about Chris Paul specifically and and forgive me for the people who hate the idea of Chris Paul that are listening for bringing it up so early in the podcast here. But uh, if Chris Paul is on the Suns and you give up Ricky Rubio and Kelly Oubre, that's a playoff team. Like that's that's definitely a mm-hmm. playoff team. You're also giving up on Kelly Oubre and you're and you're giving up on Ricky Rubio. And I think the value of Ricky Rubio is something that's very hotly disputed among NBA Twitter. So I think a lot of people might have different opinions on that as well. But if you throw that out, because I think there's a chance that Chris Paul just doesn't want to play for a Robert Sarver-owned t- team. Like just throw that out entirely. Uh, then you look at the team itself, and I, when I look at the team. There's two things that stand out when you look at a lot of the stats. I think they had one of the best lineups in the NBA, the starting lineup that included Mikhail Bridges and Kelly Oubre. Uh, That was one of the best lineups. In fact, I think it may have ended the season at the top of net ratings of five-man lineups in the NBA. And another stat that stood out to me is of starting backcourts, the Ricky Rubio-Devin Booker backcourt was the fourth best in the NBA as well at at plus 7.3. This is in net rating. Uh, So... You, you, if you look at that starting lineup and say, well, that's already pretty good, then why did they lose so many games? Well, one, DeAndre Ayton was suspended 25 games. Mm-hmm. That affects them a lot. Uh, two, they had no backup guards that could really uh, control the ball. You know, The best backup guard they had during the season was Javon Carter. Javon Carter can't really penetrate. He can't really create his own shot, and he's not creating shots for other people. He has value, and I like him a lot. But if that's the guy that's coming off the bench and controlling the offense when Devin Booker and Ricky Rubio are off the floor, it's not going to go very well. So if if you just isolate that, then you say if you could fix that backup, that bench scoring and those bench guards, then I think that would go a long ways. Whether or not that could be enough to make the playoffs will depend on a lot of other things, how the West you know shakes out. And health, I think that matters a lot too. Like if Aaron Baines was just healthy the entire season right. as well, even without DeAndre Ayton, it's possible the Suns would have already made the playoffs this season. And that's what I think when people point to like, there were some matchups that favored them definitely in the bubble. And like you said, even just the sheer unprecedented circumstances of it all could just, that gives itself to wacky outcomes. But they mm-hmm. dealt with not having Ayton for so long. And then Baines was totally um, banged up for much of the year. And then you had Darius Sars was just playing like absolute ass basically until mm-hmm. Disney World, where where I felt like, oh, they were definitely going to renounce him. And now it's like, well, is he like the guy, like that punch off the bench that they they actually right. need? And so like, I actually do feel that maybe not exactly what we saw in the bubble to success, but it feels like this team is is closer to that version of themselves than they would be to an inferior version or whatever we might've seen through the first quarter half of the regular season. Yeah. Uh, and I agree with that. And if you remember that the first, you know, 11 games, there were seven and four and there was a lot of talk about the Suns at that point of the season because they looked relatively good. And, and Baines was of course on a heater for a while there right. where he just couldn't miss. And then he, and, you know, and 
just so people know what happened to Baines, he took a knee in the ribs from Jalen Brown that basically took him out for a while. And when he came back, it took a while for that shot to get going again. And then when he came back in the bubble, he actually had COVID. Uh, so he didn't play in, in the bubble because he hadn't fully recovered by the time uh, those games were done. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I think that the one thing I will say is if they do sort of keep this roster together, and Sharitz is an interesting one that you you brought up, and try to improve that bench role, there's a chance that, that they easily make it in the playoffs. But I think the the likelihood is they're still sort of competing for that seventh and eighth spot, which at this point now is not even necessarily a playoff team. Uh, it's a play-in team. They have to yeah. win a tournament to still make the playoffs at that point. And for me, I'd feel a lot more comfortable if the Suns were the sixth seed at that point. And I think if you want to shoot for the sixth seed, you might have to look for something a little bit better. And it gets pretty complicated, as we're going to get into. Yeah, I mean, look, this year six seed was playing at almost a, in the Jazz, was playing at almost a 50-win pace. It's like, that's mm-hmm. a really tall order for a team that was playing at closer to like a 40 win pace but before delving into again we'll get back to the offseason i have to we're gonna start with devin booker and we're just gonna come up with all these hypothetical trades for him i'm absolutely just kidding uh how dare you (laughs) the it does seem like i know there's been definitely a uh chasm uh in the past between how sons have valued him and then how Mm -hmm. uh just nationally people have valued him and look that always happens i think with you know fans and and their stars and then national pundits but like this was like a huge like it was just there was a galaxy separating it and i feel like mm-hmm. that sort of bridge now where uh the empty calories label at least feels like it's gone and i don't know that it and i can't even i don't think i ever said he was but maybe i did i don't know that it ever should have been there because i think at that point can you plead like heavy usage while being super young like that's an actual that, that's right. an actual thing but um knowing that that empty calories label even if whether it need to be there or not is officially gone what is it that you have been most impressed by over the past couple of years from him, or maybe something that you still think is just undercovered about what he does? Well, I think what's sort of difficult uh, to talk about with uh, Devin Booker particularly is his route in the NBA. And actually, you know what, Dan, I hate to, I hate to, um, I hate to change the subject here, but I think we may have to. Because Brian Windhorst just tweeted, the Phoenix Suns have had discussions oh about acquiring Chris Paul from the OKC Thunder. Sources tell me and Tim Bonteps, story forthcoming, that just that just happened just now. I, <laughs> that was just tweeted while we were talking about this. It's funny. I turned my phone over when the notification came up because I just assumed that there are nothing notifications now, and I have to get out of the habit of it being that. Um Look, we can talk unless you have to go now to record the timeline pod. Like I'll, I'll talk about Chris Paul and the Suns. I I'm a proponent of that deal. You would need to see what the and look. Do you have to go? Like that's no, no, yeah. no. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. Um, I'm ready. This is absolutely fantastic. Now um, <laughs> it's good. It's good radio, if you will. I, I think the idea of Chris Paul and Phoenix makes too much sense because, and I was going to save this for when we were talking about Ricky Rubio later on. I I do feel like he's part of the problem of needing to like alleviate the, um, the the pressure on Devin Booker, like where it certainly helps to have him on the floor with Devin Booker, but the Suns offense was in the 22nd percentile when he played without Devin Booker. And yes, that could be an indictment on the rest of their roster, but it's also kind of an indictment on how he plays because he's not that traditional scoring threat. And Chris Paul, with or without Devin Booker, is just a better fit. I think what I have, again, they haven't even, you know, we'll have to see in that story what the terms of the package are. I assume it's some form of um, Oubre and 
Rubio, like if they're giving and then stuff, but not great stuff. And if it's other stuff, then that's where it's a problem because, and this is what I'm getting at. What I do think you have to bring yourself um, to consider is that your whatever you're giving up is for two years of Chris Paul. Um, yeah. And you could even look at it as one because then he'll have leverage going to last year of his deal with a player option if it really goes badly. And so that's why you don't, you know, Mikael Bridges name should not come. And this is I, maybe I overvalue Mikael Bridges, but his name shouldn't come no, no, within no. like 50 miles <laughs> of this of this. I would say even giving up Cam Johnson uh, would yep. be a no for me. And so I'm just curious agree. where you land on that. I absolutely agree. I think it it's essentially comes down to the trade that makes sense, I think, money-wise, is a combination of Ricky Rubio and Kelly Oubre. Uh, and then beyond that, I'm afraid to give up anything else. And I think for good reason. I think, one, these guys, first of all, it's difficult to come up with trades for the Phoenix Suns because those are the only two guys that have sort of medium-sized contracts, Ricky Rubio at $17 million and Kelly Oubre at $15 right. million. Beyond that, the only large contract is Devin Booker. He's not going anywhere. So to come up with the trade, you automatically include those two guys. Now, you can look at the OKC Thunder and say, well, why would they want either? And fair, because it's a difficult to understand what they're even going to try to do next year. But I think they could easily flip Kelly Oubre into some draft assets if that's what they want to do. And if you look at the other teams that are potentially going to bid for Chris Paul, I mean, what are they going to give up? I think it's a, it's a relatively good offer for what it is and if you have to if you have to include that 10th pick you 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 can and should but you try and get maybe you know the okc thunder have a lot of picks maybe you try and get the 25th pick back or something like that so you still have one swing maybe you get desmond bain or somebody like that in the draft Mm -hmm. uh, to help a little bit uh what's tough is that essentially it's still those two contracts combined still don't make up what chris paul makes And that means that you're eliminating essentially all of your flexibility in free agency. But to me, that's okay. I, you know, I look at Chris Paul and what he did with the OKC Thunder, and I see a essentially a top 10 level player in the NBA last season. And maybe you can dispute that, but I think the types of guys that show up on a team and then automatically make them a playoff team, those are usually top 10 players. It's, it's difficult to really figure that out. And if you add that to the Suns, I, I don't know. To me... Uh, how they play in the regular season with Chris Paul is interesting because does he play every game? Can he stay healthy? All of that. But if they make the playoffs and then you have a lineup of Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, and DeAndre Ayton on the floor for the majority of that game, I I really like that a lot. <laughs> like that's just something I look at. And like how do you guard? How do you guard that? That that's going to be really difficult. Uh, verging on impossible and. I'd agree with everything you'd say, and I might even have a larger concern about the reason you acquire Chris Paul is to make it so you you get into the playoffs. But he becomes most important in the playoffs, and the Thunder, as top heavy as they were, like they were in part because they were these crunch time superheroes. Like they were able to fairly limit his minutes, where it didn't feel like he was overstrained. And and even look, I don't even think you can count on that good of health from Chris Paul like they got this past year. And so that's where I would say that you want to figure out a way to complete this deal so that you're not really. Um, punting on what free agent flexibility you have uh you know maybe it's you know if you time it right like and you're giving up the 10th pick and you move him as an actual salary um mm-hmm. that plus Ubre and rubio gets it done and it almost feels like i don't know it blows my mind that i'm saying this i would do that deal if i'm phoenix but including the number 10 pick feels like a slight overpay yeah. and then if you remove right. it uh it's like well then 
yes, Ubre Jr. is good and Rubio, those are good players, but they don't fit anything the Thunder are trying to do long term. And so it makes me wonder, like, is there a third team then involved in this? Or right. if you are giving up the 10th pick and you already like alluded to this is what are you else are you going to get back? Uh, as you mentioned, they do have the 25th pick. I think that one was from from Denver, if I'm not mistaken. So like, I guess that would make it fine for me. They also have that stock of like all these other draft picks, but I don't know that they're so high. If you're if you're going to get the number 10 pick in this class, unless you just think that someone there is the one, I don't know why you're giving up picks from any future drafts in this deal. So I think the the 10 pick plus those two guys is like my absolute limit to the point where like, I, I still think it's too much, and you have to get some some other type of compensation aside from Chris Paul back in return. He was. Right. Look, I think I did a player ranking leading um, into the bubble, and I think I might have had him. He was definitely in the top 15, and, and he made um, second team All-NBA this year, yeah. so he's really good. But like two years and $85.6 for someone <laughs> who is 34, like that's a lot of money. And even right. if you guarantee health— um, he's also 35, so I was I was making him younger. You're welcome, Chris Paul. Yes. Uh, you're like just that two year window is hard for me to grapple with a little bit too. I think it's absolutely worth it, but like if you're the Suns, I do think aside from just the cost of Chris Paul, which I'll spend billionaires' monies all day. Like that's not gonna the fact if the if they get him for like to where they're not really giving up anything more much more than Rubio or Ubre. Like if they're working this out without the tenth pick and and Milwaukee isn't involved, like shame on. Shame on the Bucks, kind of there. It's it's really for me just the the finiteness of it all to, to to where you have to just consider the opportunity cost long term of bringing it in. I think it outweighs the benefits um, will far outweigh it, but I, I'm very interested to see what the framework of this deal is and whether there's a third team or if this is just OKC saying you know we're going to save a bunch of money even if they don't get the tenth pick. And as you mentioned, they can probably reroute Kelly Oubre Jr. somewhere. Maybe that's a move you make mid season when he's had a chance right. to sort of build up his value coming off that right. surgery. Right, and then you take something from the Knicks at that point, yeah. <laughs> uh Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus. Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to, to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Uh, I, I do want to make I want to make the case uh, for why this could be a good move short term and long term. Because I think a lot of people will look at this immediately and think, this is a short-term move. The Suns are, are selling. What are they doing? This is a disaster. One, if they can do it for just Rubio and Ubre or some combination and even include a 10th pick. Now, I'm not as we talked about, I'm not fully comfortable if we go that far. But say they do it for Rubio and Ubre. Looking back at when James Jones took over the Phoenix Suns and consistently even before that, to me, the number one issue with the Phoenix Suns was culture and you have to fix the culture. Right. Now, winning helps some consistency helps some as well 
Monty Williams was the fifth coach for Devin Booker in the five years that Devin Booker was on the Phoenix Suns. Seems in fact, like a lot. This, yeah. In <laughs> fact, this coming season will be the first time that he starts a new season with the same coach that he had at the beginning of the previous season. First time in Devin Booker's NBA career. Monty Williams helps a lot with that culture. Winning a few extra games helps a lot with that culture. But if you can bring a team of James Jones, Monty Williams, and Chris Paul all working together, I think that has a pretty pretty good impact on the young guys. Now, now it can be argued, is this the type of thing that can help DeAndre Ayton or the pressure of playing with Chris Paul going to hurt? In my opinion, it only helps. I've seen the clips of Chris Paul yelling at DeAndre Jordan under the rim. And I understand what that's going to look like when he does it to DeAndre Ayton. Uh, but I still think it would help overall. The other part is $40 million of cap space coming off the books. If the Suns make the playoffs two years in a row, right? It's a two-year deal. And then $40 million comes off the books in the same year that you have uh, a few guys that can be signed on the Phoenix Suns named Mikhail Bridges and DeAndre Ayton. And you can sign those guys over the cap because you have their bird rights. It's not the worst scenario to have a lot of cap space after two years of making the playoffs uh, with this team, assuming they do, and I, and I think they would. We talked about it early in this podcast, coincidentally. What's a route to getting to the sixth seed or above? Uh, this is it. <laughs> you know, This is probably the main one, I think, uh, that, that you can talk about. And now it looks like there's some credence behind it. So if you can make the playoffs, if you have some good culture building uh, with Chris Paul, with Monty Williams, who are friends, you know, they, they these are guys who, it's not... It wouldn't be the first time that Monty Williams is coaching Chris Paul. Uh, and, and, and you know, there's a, there's a lot to sell with this that makes sense. And here's the thing. It all falls apart if Chris Paul has a season-ending injury a few weeks into the season. And I think that's a fair thing to, to bring up, that, that that makes it a little bit scary. But, you know, I think there's a case to be made that it's good short-term and it still can be good long-term as long as you don't give up guys like Cameron Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton. You have those four guys. It's not the worst scenario. And look, the the short-term window of it is actually beneficial depending on what you give up because even if it ends up being a mistake, like then the mistake is is short-lived because all of a yeah. sudden there's only one year left on his deal. And so, and look, maybe this is a matter, like just the sheer breadth of Chris Paul's salary. Like, is this an instance where this is, you know, Ty Jerome and then they're, you know, picking up campaign's team option and sending him out? Or I think Jack Diallo has a team option. Like those two, con- like two of those contracts um, plus Rubio, plus Kelly Oubre, like that gets you to the money. And so then if people are worried about the flexibility they're giving up in 2021, I get it. But like, you know, first of all, 2021 might end up sucking free agency wise because Paul George mm-hmm. and Kawhi Leonard chose to be with the Clippers. Why would they leave? Right. Why would LeBron mm-hmm. leave LA when AD is there and he can pass mm-hmm. the torch? So like, and is Giannis right. going to Phoenix? Like I just, Not, like, yeah. no. And so like, is Giannis going to a Phoenix team that had to fight for the eighth seed, right? That's, that's right. kind of a way to look at it. Uh, and no, I, I completely agree. Giannis is going to go to a premier franchise if he leaves and maybe he stays, maybe they're good enough that he stays. And yeah, I don't, I don't think that's it either. The, the best case for the Suns to make a case to a free agent is being good. <laughs> that's not a right. bad thing. Be good. Right. And even I totally even forgot like Kaminsky's team option is just floating there. So if like that you just pick up and you are including him in that deal. So like there are ways right. to get there. I like that trade even more if they're not giving up 10. Um, I don't know that I'll despise the deal, but it'll, it'll be a blatant overpay if Cam Johnson is in there to me. Uh, yeah. Well, and, I, it's tough for me if you give up multiple wings. It's like why bring Chris like the, the advantage of having Chris Paul on this team is that you could surround him by good wings immediately. And, and it's a team that makes sense for Chris Paul. If you start giving those guys up, 
you know, it, the team starts to make less sense for Chris Paul. Yeah, and I, again, that would be just straight like cap relief for OKC, which I don't necessarily think is out of the question because if I'm not mistaken, they finished in the tax this past year. And look, I know having money to spend this summer is an advantage uh, in the market, but like, just look at the market. And then also, I've actually been surprised, and I'd mentioned this in the outline, at how people are just penciling in the Suns as a cap space team when they would have to get rid of uh, Baines and Dario Saric, essentially, mm-hmm. and or, you know, move, you know, we're talking about Rubio or Ubre's salary. Like there has to be collateral damage to them having cap space that's meaningful. And then mm-hmm. that cap space has to turn in to someone. And so would I rather give up what it seems like this deal will be um, for Chris Paul than uh, get rid of Baines and Saric and then someone else to maybe try and sign Van Fleet um, for three or four years? Yes, I would prefer Chris Paul there. Uh, even looking at other trade options, I do think Drew Holiday would be a great fit for this roster, but the permutations of that deal are just difficult to make, not just in terms of matching salary, but what's the compensation? Because with him approaching free agency next year, you can make the argument that, well, including uh, Cam Johnson or Mikael Bridges and that would be an overpay as well. And so if you're getting Chris Paul without giving up um, those two guys, and then again, maybe you're keeping the 10 pick or you're at least still staying in the first round if you get another selection back, like that ends up being a big deal for the Suns too. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a fascinating, I don't know, I, I wonder how it's going to be viewed by... Because I think a lot of people, like some Suns fans, this is kind of what I'm talking about with homerism a little bit. Some Suns fans say, you can't trade Kelly Oubre for Chris Paul. And I imagine you, as a non-Suns fan, just don't you think that's just outright insane when you hear that? <laughs> or do I, I you just, get it for the salary? I don't get it. Like, the salary's not going to do for me. Like, Kelly Oubre Jr. is a good play finisher, but he's not going to table set for everyone else. And I think, like, yeah. there's just a misconception about his defensive reputation where he's either just considered absolutely terrible or people think that he's like really a defensive asset and he's like kind of not like for for his build I feel like he should be able to to do things uh across more positions than he actually does and so with him coming up on free agency next year himself yes he'll be appreciably cheaper but I just don't view losing him as this stark opportunity cost especially because of how that lineup fared with Cam Johnson at the four in the bubble and it's also I was going to mention this for a while that I'm talking about Cam Johnson in these terms after clowning the Suns for taking him last year in the draft <laughs> so high. I mean, I mean, that's one of the few times where a GM can be like, I told, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, cause I think I, I said it recently. I, I will never forget hearing Cam Johnson's name and just like, what I, every, everyone was shocked. And I, th- I think to to James Jones's credit too, there's no leaks in that front office. People have no idea what's coming down before it comes down. Nobody knew about the Dario Saric trade. Nobody knew about Cam Johnson. This was not reported. And even Ricky Rubio was something that nobody really knew about before it happened. There was no rumors about it that were tweeted by reporters. It's all something that caught everyone by surprise. And in a sense, you know, maybe that's what makes this report about Chris Paul a little. Weird. Maybe you could believe it. Maybe you don't. Uh, maybe it matters on how you feel about how it would look, whether or not you choose to believe it. But, uh, you know, I think it's interesting that that happened. But I think Cam Johnson, now you look at Cam Johnson next to Chris Paul and you go, wow, that was a great pick. <laughs> 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 next to Chris Paul, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess it'll be tough to go through these questions. Like, you know, do we view them in the context of Chris Paul? But the back to the, to the Devin Booker stuff. And if Chris Paul yeah. comes up again, uh, we will definitely talk about him. So the just basically the question I'd ask is like what's been most impressive about Devin Booker's rise 
or yes. most undercovered about it, where maybe there's still a misconception about how he's playing. Yeah, so I think one of the big things is his playmaking because I think a lot of uh, a lot of people. Well, first of all, Devin Booker when he came into the league, he was comped as like a Clay Thompson type player, and he's just not. Like he's really not that at all. I think uh, he uses ball screens a lot more. He's a little bit more of a ball handler. His so he's way shooting, more of a ball handler. Yeah, yeah, way more exactly. <laughs> uh, he's not much of a three point shooter. He can shoot three pointers, but he he really kills you from mid range, and he's actually a really great finisher. Uh, he, he had a higher finishing percentage than LeBron James. Not the same level of toughness on finishes, but I think it, it is a stat. I think that you look at and say, "Wow, I didn't realize he was that good at that." And I think just like as, as shot creation, uh, it, it's been incredible. But in the last two seasons alone. The improvement in the types of passes that he can now make, I think, has been really impressive. Skip passes, uh, you know, across the floor to shooters. He can do it with his right. He can do it with his left. He can do it at full speed. Uh, and you know, it's it's really impressive to see the growth in in him for for playmaking. And uh, you know, I think that's that's one of the things that I think one of the reasons people don't realize it is the Suns have been really bad at shooting. So when you're really bad at shooting, you might make a really great pass, and then it doesn't turn into an assist. Then if you look at the raw box score, you're not going to pick up on the types of passes he's he's making. You really have to watch it to figure it out. And I think uh, that's been a, a big thing. And I think when you compare Devin Booker to a lot of uh, other shooting guards in the league, that's one of the things I think that sets him apart from a lot of them is that he's a little bit more of a playmaker. And part of that is because he's you know six five six six. He's big, so he can make those passes. And, uh, you know, I think that's something that's been a little bit overlooked, especially because, like, the type of things that had to happen in order for him to develop under five different coaches is pretty remarkable. And he still did, uh, which is pretty amazing. So the passing is something I think that gets overlooked. And I even when people talk about it, there's still the element of is he a good passer or is is he somehow stat padding? And I, I think when you watch him, like, no, is I, I don't know that he's making, like, he's not making these Ben Simmons-like reads, but I, I think the biggest compliment I can give him from, again, the, the games of the Suns that I'm helicoptering in to watch, the shots that he's creating would not exist if it's someone else with the ball in his hand. I mean, someone else who's, you know, a, a lesser player, anyone on the Suns roster for the most part. Mm -hmm. Just, like, even looking at, like, him being able to back down um, smaller guards or even right. wings in the post to the point where like teams are going to drift so far towards him that yeah you know what he can fling just the one-handed like kick out and his teammates going right. to be wide open like that stuff really matters and so it it feels like that and then even uh, there's still the misconception that like maybe he's like not all that efficient and I feel like part of that is because people expect him to take more threes but he was just look this is just a fact statistically he was just one of the most efficient high volume scorers in the league this yep. year Yep, uh, what he did as far as scoring and and true shooting percentages hasn't really been done by a lot of players. And if you look at the list of players who have at least met those statistical criteria, uh, you're going to see a lot of names that you recognize: uh, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, those types of names as far as efficiency. And he just he just is. And I think what's interesting is Clay Thompson is sort of the prototype of like a modern NBA player, and you know to to comp Devin Booker like that, he's so old school with how he does play like he likes that mid post he likes the mid range he'll get you uh in the post and back you up all the way under the rim he's got the fakes he's got the moves uh it's very 
Kobe-like. I mean, I, you know, a lot of people have been compared to Kobe, but offensively, I think Devin Booker is actually pretty close as far as the bag, like the skill set. He's got a lot of those moves, and, and it's probably because he grew up loving Kobe Bryant, so he's watched a lot of it and tried to emulate it. What does the next frontier look like for Devin Booker if he's going to be more than, I'll say, like on the peripherals of the All-NBA discussion? Like what right. separates him from being that All-NBA formality right now? Well, here's the stat. Devin, uh, Devin Booker was number one in points per touch in the NBA uh, this last season. So as far as the amount of time he touched the ball, uh, he scored the most in points per touch, which I think is fairly interesting for a lot of reasons. I think part of that is because he finally had a point guard that can help set him up. But I do think that he needs to be able to handle the ball more. We call it point book uh, a lot of times uh, as Suns fans. This is something that's been hotly disputed. But I think the the increase in his ability to make the passes that he makes, the ability to score from anywhere on the floor, has now, I think, allowed him to transition to more of just the primary guy with the ball in his hands a lot. I think the bubble was a great example because pre-bubble, uh, Ricky Rubio and him were so, sort of sharing a lot of the playmaking duties throughout the game. In the bubble, Ricky Rubio, I think, averaged something like 27 minutes a game. It wasn't a lot. And as the games came down uh, to the wire, it was just Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, pick and roll over and over and over again, or Devin Booker in the post, or Devin Booker in the mid post. Uh, and I think that is is more the future for him. It's just being able to carry the offensive load even more, which is kind of funny to think about. Like, this is a guy who scored 70 points at 20 years old, a guy who was seeing double teams before he could even drink a beer uh, because he was the only scoring option on the Phoenix Suns. But I think those types of things, as ugly as they were to watch for part of the history, did properly prepare him for what he's looking at now. And if he ever does make the playoffs, he's already seen a lot of those types of defenses that they're going to throw at him because he was the only guy who can score for a long time. Uh, so I think just increasing that offensive load a little bit could help a lot. But, you know, if you look at his stats from this year, just raw stats, points and assists. And last year, they're exactly the same. Essentially, <laughs> the numbers are the same, but the efficiency went up a little bit, too. And that helps every season. If he can increase his efficiency, that makes a massive difference. And I think for him, something as simple as getting really good at the pull up three pointer would make a huge difference because that's really the only thing in his game that he's not elite at as far as scoring. And if he ever gets that, uh, good luck trying to guard him. <laughs> and it's interesting that you talk about him shouldering maybe more of the offensive burden when before this podcast is done, they might have Chris Paul on the roster as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. But I think even still, uh, you know, like we talked about it, uh, you know, with Ricky Rubio and Devin Booker on the floor together, good. Uh, Devin Booker off the floor, Ricky Rubio on the floor, not good. <laughs> that didn't, it didn't go very well. Uh, it, it was it was pretty bad. It's something like a ninety seven uh, offensive rating or something like that. It was uh, bad. It, yeah, it was it was pretty bad. And look, that's like that's a huge upgrade in itself because you're taking. Um, we're assuming the, the the major cost will be Kelly Oubre Jr. and Rubio, and you're taking two players who can't run the offense without Booker, or even run the offenses right. like the two right. of them without Booker, and you're replacing them with someone who can. Like he was, yeah. what Booker was to the Suns, he was for the Thunder last year, where their offense fell off a cliff if they were playing with Shea and and Dennis Schroeder uh, without him on the floor. And so, like that's just even like that's where I do think it's I could understand people if they're concerned about the Chris Paul move in the the vein of, well, it's still the West, like they could still miss the playoffs and they're absolutely right. But that's such a stark upgrade with in, in the area of biggest need 
for the Suns that I would argue they would have like they would probably be if I penciled in. It feels like there's going to end up being seven Western Conference teams that are just formalities, and I feel like with CP3 the Suns do become one of them. Right. It's without diving like yeah. too deep into it, but like you know, at the top of my yeah. head, like Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets. Uh, I'd probably throw the Mavericks in there. Let's assume the Rockets don't blow it up. And if you want to say the Warriors are back back, um, that's six. I don't know that I would pick any of the other teams. The Thunder would clearly be sellers. There's right. the Jazz, of course, but the Suns would yeah, be. Yeah, not even the Jazz. That's interesting. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager on than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division odds, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Again, everything's going back to Chris Paul now, but I have the same question for uh, DeAndre Ayton, where he he was a, a lot better um, during his sophomore campaign, and, and like the fact that he finished or was able to put together such a, a stellar season after like mm-hmm. that suspension, like because people were absolutely dragging right. him at the right. time, it was it was great. And look, his his offense has really always intrigued me. I love even if they're not shooters, guys who can get like 20 points and like you don't necessarily even notice they have 20 points because yeah there are possessions where they it can like revolve around him and like the post-ups like that he does use like they're not the prettiest but like it feels like he scores so much within the flow of things and so he's enjoyable to watch there and then just the for me like the defensive switching for him felt like almost night and day between unless I missed something towards the end of his rookie campaign like to have that utility from him on defense like I'm just kind of wondering like what is all of a sudden his ceiling now after watching him in year two? Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Oh, I'm sorry. My mic messed up a little there. It's fascinating to watch DeAndre Ayton because uh, I think he'll always be cursed with people assuming he's the wrong pick. And I think for a lot of people, that just becomes blinders. Uh, they're unable to recognize what he, he's good at. And I think you need to celebrate that. I think for centers, like a lot of people talk about the way the game is changing. And I think for centers, as far as defense goes, what you need is mobility. That's what you need. And he is a very, very mobile big man for his size. And I think if you comp- if you if you combine basically a huge man who's very mobile with the ability to be coached, which is something that people commonly say about DeAndre Ayton, he's very coachable. And then you can have something uh, like what he looked like last year. Uh, you know. It's it's hard and like we're filtering everything through the Chris Paul news uh, <laughs> right now. But I you know, you look at like what Chris Paul could do for DeAndre Ayton. And I think there's there's a couple of things that, that could happen there that could make a massive difference. He's gonna get better every year, I think, no matter what, because he just seems like a guy. He started basketball late, he's a massive guy, and he's very coachable, and I think he'll get better every year, defensively and offensively. But I think there is something about like these guys that are sort of legends about when they're on your team. I commonly talk about like JaVale McGee when he's with the Warriors or with the LeBron compared to JaVale McGee when he's not. These guys step up their game a little bit when they're surrounded by a legend because they have the weight of their sort of legacy on their backs. And I wonder if that type of thing could be really good for a player like DeAndre. Not to mention just a guy who's been setting up big men 
for his entire career, and he's possibly one of the best ever at it. But I think with DeAndre Ayton, to me, I'm not, I don't want him shooting a lot of mid-range shots. Like if we're going to talk about what he needs to get better at, three pointers is fine. But ultimately, I'm really okay with him being sort of Clint Capella plus on offense as long as the defense continues to get better. Simplify his role. That's okay with me uh, going forward. Maybe you work some sets into his posting up. Maybe he posts up on switches a little bit more. But to me, the more and more you force the ball to him when you have a guy like Devin Booker on your team, that's not always great. I'm okay with him just being a rim runner and maybe the best at it in the NBA at some point uh, in his career. Uh, just simplify it a little bit and focus on defense. Make him the best defender that he can be. And with his size, with his mobility, uh, you know, and his length and his ability to jump very high, <laughs> he, he could be a really good defender. The uh, the thing, so I'd actually just written something about this. You mentioned about how people have the blinders on that he was the wrong pick. And I think the best way it might even be framed is like relative to what the number one pick is supposed to represent, like DeAndre Ayton was not the wrong pick. Like if you, in a vacuum, if DeAndre Ayton's the number one pick, like that's a good selection. It's because Luka Doncic was in that draft. And that's not just a footnote, but like, I think it's, we can't like forget like how good he, like the, look, I'm going to the Suns like blew that. Like that was, this wasn't, you know, people were on the fringes about Doncic, but he was in the, the number one conversation and it, it wasn't, you know, they could argue like the Kings did. They didn't want to take the ball out of Booker's hands. It's not a report that I saw, but yeah, Doncic would have been better, but like Aiton is still, he's at that all-star. Like he feels like he'll have that all-star apex. And like, I do think, um, if there is a, a chance for him to expand his range, and one of my questions was, is this too reductive to say that maybe he should, needs to test out his three more? But if you have someone that can just hit, like pick and pops more consistently, particularly if Chris Paul is going to be on your mm-hmm. team, like we're not just talking about like an all star, but like maybe he's just one of going to become one of the elite bigs in the league. Yeah, I I I don't think it's entirely reductive to say he needs to shoot more threes as long as that's sort of paired with uh, to replace the long twos. Uh, you know, because that's still built into him, and, and this is sort of a problem with a lot of big men when they they're coming up. You know, there's still a lot of colleges that want him to shoot that 18, 19 footer. Uh, but yeah, if he if he takes those shots and moves those behind the line, I mean, there's like he he probably shot like 43 percent from mid range or 42 percent, maybe even lower. Like it's not difficult to get a three point percentage that makes that three pointer a more valuable shot than that. You know, he shoots 30%. It's a better shot. So I, th- I do think he needs to shoot more. At the very least, you have to figure out if he can. Uh, because it's flat. It looks a little weird. But it does go in. And there was shots in the bubble that went in. I think he still ended the season under 30% or something like that. He started launching a little more towards the end of the season. But you got to figure out if he can do it. Because I think, like you said, that makes that makes a big difference if he's capable of it. And he did it in college. Uh, slightly shorter three-point line, but he shot something like 36 37%. So it's, it seems like something that he should be capable of doing, and I think you you have to try because if he if you figure out that he can't, you, you can cut it out. But if he can, I think it's going to make a massive difference, just like you said. And look, in the Chris Paul lens of things, it becomes less pivotal for him to do that because now all of a sudden it's so much easier to field lineups where there's just four shooters around DeAndre Ayton. When, right. you're, when you're replacing Oubre and Rubio with Paul. Uh, as we constantly break away from this, um, I saw that your podcast partner, Sam Cooper, I don't know if you saw it, just tweeted, Mike is recording a pod right now, by the way, <laughs> which is hilarious because like three weeks ago, he was the only one still gunning hard for this idea. He can't even relish the moment. Little <laughs> little does he know you're able to relish the moment. <laughs> I'm relishing it now. Now all these people will have to actually come, come to this to listen to, to my live 
reaction. And I think you're right. I, what what happened? What happened? And I'm just going to give the little story about this because it's relevant now. A few, maybe a month ago or so, I was just sort of looking at all of the reports about the Phoenix Suns, and I was looking at the way that Chris Paul sort of ended his run in the bubble, and he thanked OKC, and then just he sort did of everything out of the but blue, name his next team that video. But you know, he, you know who he did name? Monty Williams, completely out of the blue. He brought up Monty Williams. And then uh, there's this report by a a, a uh, Arizona sports radio guy named John Gambador. We call him the Godfather on our podcast. Uh, he said that the Phoenix Suns told Devin Booker that the Suns were going to make a splash this offseason. Now, that somehow went a little bit under the radar because to me that's huge because that frames the entire offseason as far as what the Suns are going to try to do because I think the entirety of what you should do when you have a superstar on your team is try to make him happy to keep him as long as possible. Uh so I looked at all of the tea leaves, if you will, and I said, oh, it's got to be it's going to be Chris Paul, guys. Like, it's so obvious that it's going to be Chris Paul. And of course, everyone hated it at the time. But you know how fans are. The closer and closer you get to something being a reality, the more and more they talk themselves into it. Uh, so I think I think that's uh, that's going to change a little bit. But I took a little bit of heat for saying that I think it's going to be Chris Paul about a month ago. Uh, but now I can now I can brag about it, I guess. I never would have predicted it, even as they sort of made, made the segue was it was like sort of trendy or like an anomaly to say like you know so the Suns would be a great destination for Chris Paul but then it was almost over talked about I never would have ventured into the realm of Chris Paul is going to the Suns like you did so kudos to you because still not official <laughs> but look for Winhurst to to allow it to be aggregated like that's right. a big deal <laughs> right yeah he's giving writers like you something to to write about tomorrow <laughs> uh, so the so this is my most pressing pressing question of the podcast what's the mm -hmm. over under on the number of all NBA teams Mikael Bridges is going to make. I mean, what how many seasons do you think he'll play? Uh 25 30, <laughs> like around there. Yeah. <laughs> um I, go it's ahead, safe sorry. to say that he's my favorite player on the Phoenix Suns. And and you know how it is with with NBA hipsters or whatever, like it's never the best player. It's always like somebody else, right? And for the Suns uh Suns fans, that's Mikael Bridges and I you know, I love and you know when he was trending, that was my fault. Uh, but he knew it was that, you, which was even better, right? Yeah. <laughs> he follows me. Uh, we don't really interact. He does follow me on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, it was just something that happened. Jackson Frank, uh, people who are NBA Twitter nerds like us know, know him, mm -hmm. uh, said something about how uh, so many Suns fans are following him and he's not sure that he can continue to tweet about the Suns. And I said, it's okay, just tweet Mikhail Bridges once every few days and you'll get a hundred or so likes. And then I said, I'll, te I'll test it out now. And then I tweeted Mikhail Bridges. And by the end of the night, I think it was over 11,000 people had <laughs> tweeted <laughs> just Mikhail Bridges. As all the best things that happened, it happened completely by accident. But I think it's not a coincidence in any way. This was the night before they played the Philadelphia 76ers, who the Suns traded for Mikhail Bridges from. And I think it represents the love that Suns fans have for a guy like Mikhail Bridges, a dirt worker who never complains and works really hard and just makes all the smartest plays. And there was a time where his jump shot looked a little broke. <laughs> it looks a lot better now, and that makes it even easier uh, to praise a guy like him. But I think he'll. I think he has a chance to be one of the best defenders in the league as early as next season. I'd be with you there, and the thing that I'm like more curious about with him, and look, I firsthand experience of how much the Suns fans care about uh, Mikael Bridges. Like, I try to remain by following like writers and bloggers and podcasters who cover every team. I try to remain in tune with like what the thoughts are of each base. But I ranked Mikael Bridges as the most underrated player in the NBA this past season, and like Suns fans were angry 
um, some of them. Like, no, he's not <laughs> underrated. Like, we really appreciate him. And I, w- I was like, well, I'm not saying that you guys don't appreciate him. I'm just thinking he get talked about enough. But That's it was, really funny. <laughs> that was my experience with knowing how much Suns. I, I got a kick out of that one because it's like, well, this was a compliment. So I, I don't know what there's to be angry about. But I, the question for me with him is on offense. Because as of right now, right. Like, you know, his three-point efficiency like upticked this year. And if you're going to be yeah. an elite three and D guy, because when we talk about three and D players, like yeah. normally they're non elite in both areas, but he's already elite on defense. And if he's going to be an above average shooter, that's huge. But unlike some of these other guys, there's more to him. And it's not even to me, just the cutting. It's like when he's passing on the move, like he makes really good decisions on drives. I think when I was writing about this, he had like one of the lowest turnover rates for yeah. um, anyone on the, who used his uh, volume of drives. And so do you see him getting to the point where he's more than a three and D player in a sustainable manner? Because I think the thing with him is that like on offense, he can go from like zero to 100 to 50 to 25 to 80. To, like, it's just, it, there's like these wild fluctuations from him. Yeah. I'd expect that uh, m- more a little bit going forward. As far as I, I'm not, I'm not fully bought into, I, I don't see him as a, someone who's going to create his own shot regularly. Uh, right now but i i don't want to diminish the value of the type of player he is and i know you know but just for the people listening uh he doesn't have to right now in order to be a really valuable piece on the team he's a guy who entered the starting lineup and will likely never leave as as long as he's on the phoenix suns because of the type of value he brings defensively but i think offensively as you talked about he doesn't make a lot of mistakes just period he doesn't turn the ball over a lot he doesn't shoot shots that he shouldn't shoot uh, he can move the ball really quickly. The Suns run an offense that they call .5, and the idea around .5 is that you make a decision within half a second of touching the ball. He perfectly and seamlessly works into that. That's actually relatively similar to Villanova, other than the fact that the Suns run a little bit more than Villanova did. Uh, so it was relatively seamless for him. But I do think his shot will get better, and that will make a massive difference. The other thing that happened is this last season, and I think Ricky Rubio had a lot to do with this, he became one of the best cutters in the NBA. Uh, And I think that will continue, whether it be with Ricky Rubio or Chris Paul next season. Either way, (laughs) when he cuts, he's going to get the ball if it's the smart cut because those guys can make passes from any angle. And uh, you know, to be able to do that, I think, matters a lot. For him, I think he has to get stronger offensively and defensively defensively obviously we know what that means it means he can guard essentially every position besides the center because of his length uh and maybe even some centers in the nba at this point but also i think offensively if he starts to get stronger i think his finishing will get better his arms are so long like this seven foot one uh wingspan on a guy who's basically six foot seven six foot eight ish Mm -hmm. uh and i think that finishing will get better over time you know, and and he'll find he'll find easy buckets. I think that's going to be a lot of it. That's that's getting open shots from three, transition, and then easy cuts. As far as starting, like he's uh, turning into Kawhi, like if you will, um, it's going to take a lot to get there. Uh, a few seasons at least before we even know if that's anything close to that is even possible. Right now, I wouldn't bet on it. Which makes his value, I think, really interesting going forward. Whenever he does become a free agent, not that. We need to talk about that now, but guys like that, I think, are interesting uh, as far as how they're valued in free agency. Well, there's like, I, I think even his extension eligibility after next year is super interesting because like, what do you pay those guys to keep them off the open market? And the Raptors are going to go through a different player, yes, um, but they're going to go through it with OG Ananobi this exactly year. Exactly who I was thinking about. I'm fascinated by his value. I can't wait to see what happens for him. 
an update to the Chris Paul reporting because they uh, mm. Horse did release the article. It doesn't really release any terms of the package, but it does emphasize the Suns could have up to twenty million in cap space. And so I have them in my sheet, um, a hair under sixteen. If they renounce Baines, decline Kaminsky's option, renounce Sarich, and then they're getting, they're still keeping like you have. There's like weird non guaranteed salaries there. You have Javon Carter's small hold, and so I have those in there. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't be a fan of them going the cap space route for Chris Paul just because now you're losing, you know, Sarge and Baines are losses there if you have to renounce them. And then like you still like Rubio alone doesn't get you there, nor does Ubre. So you still have to cobble together more money. And so it's almost costing you more players to get Chris Paul, even though I guess in that scenario, I would assume there's a higher chance if you're giving more immediate relief to the Thunder that you're keeping the number 10 pick. Yeah, and I'll be honest, no matter how I look at it, it always comes back to Rubio and Ubre. Uh, right. A combination of those two guys, that's that's basically what it comes down to. Because what I would like to do is find a way to keep Ubre uh, in that scenario. And it becomes really, really difficult. You know, there's there's some other ways to do it if you want to give up like Cam Johnson. Mikhail Bridges is untouchable. Obviously, we're not even going to talk about that. Uh, but I don't like that either. I'd rather keep Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson. I mean, it's a great advantage to have... Like, funny with Cam Johnson, by the way. Picked there, everyone laughed when he was picked. But also now, the Suns have a guy who's 24 years old at the beginning of his rookie deal. He's going to be paid like a rookie until he's 28. Uh, that's not such a bad thing for a team like the Suns, who are trying to put together the best team possible. He's going to be relatively good uh, throughout his rookie deal, and that's not something that you find that often. So you got to keep a guy like that. So... You know, no matter how I looked at it, no matter how what I tried and talked to some guys that I know that are relatively uh, experts on the cap, it always comes back into trading those two guys somehow. So yeah, because even if you go the cap space route, like it's going to be somewhere you need to. Um, if you're including Rubio, like it might. Let's say they can get to 20 million in cap room. Uh, that's still going to leave you 21 million short of Paul. You need to cobble together another four to five million in money after Rubio to keep. Ubre and like just like you said, yeah, okay, it's cool that Cam Johnson and Mikael Bridges can plug into that, but that those are the only salaries that can plug into that, and those are not exactly. players that you want to give up here. Yep, exactly. Um, next up on my list, this is this is I'm, I'm loving the the Chris Paul tangents that I was just absolutely not <laughs> not expecting. Uh, who's so fun. who's more uh, the, the Chris Paul news obviously changes this, but who's more important to this team's outlook between Rubio, Cam Johnson, and Kelly Oubre Jr. Well, it's funny. Uh, if we're just going to take out anything that we've learned today from this conversation, right. it's, abs- it's absolutely Ricky Rubio. Uh, and and that's, that's to say only because this team is so awful without point guards. And we saw that last year and, and the, the difference he makes. And I think he makes scoring easier for a lot of guys. It's not a coincidence that efficiency went up for a few of the guys on the Phoenix Suns, whether it be Kelly Oubre uh, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, or even DeAndre Ayton actually was pretty damn efficient in his rookie year. So that's something we can take out of it. Um, credit to Igor Kokoshkov, I think, didn't get a lot of credit for how well he used DeAndre Ayton on a bad team. Uh, you know, but just sort of looking at all of it, uh, Ricky Rubio, I think, makes the biggest difference on the court right now. And if you like, if you look at the player impact stats, which take them or leave them, I think they they are good for context. Uh, Ricky Rubio is the best on the Suns currently, and I think that's not a coincidence. Now, if you look at a long term going forward, you know Cam Johnson. You said Ricky Rubio, Cam Johnson. Who else did you say there? Uh, Kelly, Kelly Oubre, right? Uh, well, Kelly Oubre, one year left on his deal, and it's going to be a free agent. So I think that just disqualifies him there. I think it makes uh, him the most expendable, which is when yeah. you 
when you talk about how much, even on this podcast, we've sung his praises, but how much it seems like he, Suns feds are attached to him. It's absolutely wild to think about it in those terms. Yeah. I mean, he's really charismatic. <laughs> like he's a really charismatic guy. And you know what that means? That means he's used a lot in the marketing uh, for the Phoenix Suns. And and look, I'm not going to deny that that makes a difference in the fans' eyes. If you constantly see a player uh, that rep- that in your mind now represents the Suns actually getting better, uh, then of course you're going to value him a lot. So I, I definitely understand why people value him. And look, Kelly Oubre was good. He was part of that lineup that, we, that Suns fans love to talk about. Ricky Rubio, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, Kelly Oubre, DeAndre Ayton. That was the best lineup in the NBA. Uh, by net rating, five-man lineup. Uh, so you, he was good, but I think you're right. I think you, you have Mikhail Bridges. You have Cameron Johnson. And listen, too, if you're trading him, this is not the worst year to try and be on the market for a forward. You got Jay Crowder. You got Jeremy Grant. You got Christian Wood. Like There's a lot of Dav- Davis Bertans, Gallinari. Like, there's a lot of guys that you can replace if, if, them with maybe not if Chris Paul's in there. That kind of ruins your cap a little bit, but... Um, there's a lot of guys that you can actually replace Kelly Uber with that also makes him a little more expendable. So I think in the short term, Ricky Rubio, the longer term, Cameron Johnson, and unfortunately, Kelly Oubre. You know what? Kelly Oubre should be better at defense. I think this is a big part of what makes it complicated for him. He actually has longer arms than Mikhail Bridges. Most people don't realize this when watching the Suns. Seven foot two wingspan to Mikhail Bridges, seven foot one. But he just has a lot of brain farts. He's not always focused to the way Mikhail Bridges is. And I think if he was, then that value would be there because his athleticism is off the charts. But he makes a lot of mistakes defensively that makes it tough to keep him around. And he was just like a lot better. Or if he was noticeably better in in like any one area, there's defense. But like if he was, if you could guarantee he would shoot better from three or if he was more of a passer, like you could trust him to run um, more sets in a half court. Like if he just did one of those things better, he would seem a lot less expendable to me. But look, the contract situation is part of it too. Uh, just you yeah. don't know what he's he's not going to cost the moon absolutely to retain, yeah. but he is going to enter free agency in 2021 when there will be a ton of cap space. Something else to bring back to this Chris Paul thing I just considered um, with the way the we don't know how the NBA schedule is going to shake out, but there's been talk of like more regional play, and so if you're going to have the Pacific Division teams playing <laughs> each other like six to eight times now, yeah, what an absolute bloodbath that becomes if Chris Paul's on the Suns, the Warriors are let's say they stay healthy. The Lakers, the Clippers, like this is great for the Sacramento Kings' lottery odds, probably if this trade gets pulled <laughs> off. So I'm that will be I I would wonder if like, you know, if, if Phoenix like throws the first punch and gets Chris Paul, I would think it's it's not gonna put pressure on the Lakers or the Clippers, but like if you're Golden State and you're sitting there and you're looking at uh, Clay Thompson coming back from the ACL injury. Is Draymond Green re- regressing, or did he just not give a, a crap about last year? Mm-hmm. Like you might mm-hmm. have to feel at least a little bit more pressure to go do something this offseason. If Chris Paul, if Chris Paul winds up yeah. on a team in your division at a time where you might have to go through them six to eight times, in addition to the Clippers and the Lakers. Yeah, it's interesting when you look at the season. This is a common talking point, right? Every team in the Western Conference thinks they can make the playoffs next season, but also. The 2021 draft is considered one of the better drafts in a long time. And I imagine halfway through the season, some of these teams will actually pivot into all of a sudden now being okay tanking. And I imagine the Kings, like you talked about, could be one of those. But other than that, it's the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Warriors with the Suns. So, I mean, it's going to be tough, uh, you know, in, in that in that division. And it always is. I, I mean, for the Suns, it always is. There's no coincidence that they always have one of the toughest strengths of schedules uh, for the entire uh, 
NBA. But I want to ask you something, and forgive me for always going on tangents here. Just, just from the top of your head here, Devin Booker next season, if Chris Paul is on the team, where would you rank Devin Booker as uh, on like Chris Paul teammates? Like, where would he be? Like, say you put uh, James Harden number one, maybe you put Blake Griffin number two, or maybe you can consider Devin Booker next season to be close to that Blake Griffin level. How good of a teammate do you think Devin Booker would rank uh, as far as Chris Paul teammates? I think he does. He, I, he would automatically become number three for me. Like I'm trying to think of like, you know, Tyson Chandler was never at that level in New Orleans or in his career. Right. Uh, he would have a chance to be number two. It depend on where he peaked because I do think Blake was like all NBA caliber for a couple of years beside right. Chris Paul. Uh, I do think his game would be easier to unlock alongside Chris Paul, mm-hmm. even though like Blake Griffin's more of the natural play finisher. But after Chris Paul left, it was like, oh, Blake Griffin can hit off the dribble threes and like run things <laughs> like right. um, that. It's not going to impact Booker to to that degree. And so there's a ch- he could depending on if they're together for at least two years, there's a chance he could establish himself as his second best one. But I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting anyone. Otherwise, I would assume he's automatically number three. I don't know who's going to argue for DeAndre Jordan in Los right. Angeles. Even I think David that, West. Yeah. Dave, Pete David West. I don't even think is there. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I think that's probably where I would rank him. And depending on Devin Booker's efficiency and level of effort on defense next season, I think he could match some of Blake Griffin's uh, best seasons as far as impact on the court. Maybe that's a homer in me saying that, but I also just like guys like Devin Booker and their type of impact a lot. Uh, it sure would be nice for Suns fans to be the team that is able to exercise that Warriors demon somehow uh, for Chris Paul <laughs> at some point in the playoffs, but uh, that's going to be tough. Uh, that's just look, and then if, depending on how well Chris Paul would do there and what happens with the Suns, like the jokes that could fly at Tillman Fertitta's expense, I'm abs- I'm here for that that content. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Uh, funny enough, the two two of the cheapest and worst owners in the NBA, <laughs> some somehow still being the two that actually paid Chris Paul like close to forty or plus forty million dollars uh, per season. Kind of funny. That's why we need to see the terms of this trade to make sure that Robert Sarver isn't trying to get CP three dollar for dollar next season, where he is including all these other guys. <laughs> God, that hurts to even consider. <laughs> uh, again, all these questions are more loaded following the uh, Paul news, but right. we talked about how so many. People are writing the Suns in as this cap space team. And to me, they look, I mean, Frank Kaminsky's team option is a part of this, but they have three key free agents to me in Baines, Sarich, and then Javon Carter. Um, even throwing Frank Kaminsky in there, and then you want to throw Cameron Payne's team option there. Like, who among this gaggle of could be free agents do you think are, are most likely to leave? Who do you expect to be back? Um, what is the push and pull balance there like for you? I think Baines is, is most likely gone. Okay. Um, at this point and it's not necessarily because I wouldn't want him on the team I just think like we're talking about Dario Saric coming alive in the bubble one of the reasons Dario Saric came alive in the bubble is he started playing center and and that seemed like a more natural position for him backup center and if you keep Dario Saric which obviously maybe couldn't happen with Chris Paul as well but if you do that's kind of where you want him to be. You actually want him to play the five as much as possible. Uh, he looked really good doing that. And, and and I think it unlocked his playmaking a little bit more because all of a sudden he didn't look slow. Like, you, you know, when you play power forward, you look a little slower next to a lot of the power forwards that are guarding you. When you play center, maybe he has a little more of a step on those guys and that unlocks his playmaking a little bit more. And I think if you, if you can keep Dario, you should. The other guy I'd love 
is Javon Carter. Yes. I think Javon Carter, I don't think he's going to make a lot. Like, And that helps when you talk about keeping him because offensively, he's at best a standstill three-point shooter. The, actually, the best on the Suns. He had the best shooting percentage from the three-point line on the Suns uh, this last year, uh, boosted by an incredible bubble run. Where yeah, it was like a trillion percent from beyond the arc at yeah. Disney or something like that. Yeah, him and Cameron Payne just... Cameron Payne also shot 50% from three in the bubble. Another reason to not overvalue what happened in the bubble right there. Uh, Cameron Payne, who was not in the NBA before the bubble, shot 50% from three in a huge role uh, for the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, who but- needs Chris Paul? <laughs> yeah, if he can if he can sustain that, yeah, just they'll never lose. Actually, we have a statistical event to point at that says they'll never lose if he can shoot fifty percent from three. Uh, but Javon Carter, he's just the type of guy that has a role in the NBA, even though he's tiny, because he's all effort on defense all the time. He gets right into guys, just right in their jerseys, pretty much, and shadows them across the court. He's the guy for the Suns that actually successfully shut down Duncan Robinson in the bubble when they were getting killed by Duncan Robinson. Everyone tried to guard him. And finally, Monty just said, you know what, Javon, harass him. <laughs> just go out there and harass him. And he did. And he did that while also blocking Bam Adebayo at the rim. <laughs> uh, you know, Javon Carter, tiny, Chris Paul-sized, if you will. Uh, and I, I love him, and I'd like to keep him. And I actually think it might be kind of hard. I think, you know, other other teams are going to look at Javon Carter as a guy. Too. He's restricted, though, so... I think the Suns have a, a little bit of an advantage there with Javon Carter. Uh, I think there is a chance that none, none of those guys are back, though. I, I do think oh, that's really? actually possible. Yeah. yeah, I think the guy that we we'll want to keep the most is Saric. Uh, and I think Cameron Payne, too, It's he's not necessarily a free agent, but it's a team option. That's why I would uh, think, it, wouldn't he just be, at one point, basically $2 million, Like, wouldn't you just bring him back? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely something that you'd probably do, too, if you can. Uh, but if you're trying to maximize the cap space... Like these guys can't come back, <laughs> you know. That's that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, I would wonder. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, you're right. That is a good point. And I think what helps. I think what helps the Suns. I don't really think it matters. He won't get paid this much, but paid this much. But no one can offer him more than the non-taxpayers MLE in year one. And so I'm not paying that to keep Javon Carter. But right. I guess something to consider. I will be interested to see his price point because there's just no cash flowing around in this market. And yeah, I think uh, that helps a lot. I think there is even a chance that there's no market for Dario Saric. Like I, I tried. Like if he wants to start in the NBA, I'm not sure that there's a team that can do that right now for Dario. Uh, like he, he probably has to has to have a bench role at this point. And and I just wonder. I don't know if you've you've thought about that or considered it. That one of the teams I considered was the Spurs. I, I could see them considering him, but. Uh, it's it's difficult to come up with a team that would actually start Dario Saric and, and you know maybe he leaves to Europe and and, <laughs> and doesn't even play <laughs> in the NBA and makes just makes a lot of money there or maybe he even accepts his qualifying offer you know that's something that could actually happen yeah uh, because like I don't know that any of the cap space teams and there's going to be like three or four of them are going to give him more than the MLE and I would I would assume if you're the Suns if he's getting MLE money like that's the offer sheet he signs if you say go out sign the best offer sheet. You can, and it's not a sign and trade, and he gets you know four forty basically like from the MLB yeah. or something like you match that. Right. Yeah, I think you can. I think you can and should. I, you know, we talked about it. The bench was one of the biggest problems for the Suns, and if if you found the right role for him, you keep it. I will say one thing: the Suns had an assistant coach named Darko Ryakovich last season. Darko Ryakovich 
was the guy that was credited with uh, the sort of change in Darius Arch and and finding the right role for him. He wanted him to be a point center. That's what he's, he called it. Uh, he's gone. He's actually on the Memphis Grizzlies now. Uh, so I'm not sure how close those two guys were, but if they were very close, uh, there's a chance that Dario Saric is a little more open to leaving now than he was when he was on the staff. Are there any outside free agent targets that you are both favorite fits of yours, but also seem like gettable for Phoenix? And I'm not trying to like dump all over the idea that they could get Jeremy Grant, but like that seems like the one who's mentioned the most and for the number of players that they would have to give up to create the cap space necessary that it would take yeah. to poach him from Denver. And then right. there's no guarantee Denver isn't just like, well, we'll pay him $50 million anyway. Um, he's someone that like I've, I've kind of like written off for them. Yeah. He's got such a small cap hold and they have his bird rights. Like they're going to keep him. Uh, and also Paul Mills coming off their books. It's a nice situation for Denver. They're going to be good. Or you uh, could argue, I, it's, I almost find it tough because they're just, well, it's it's not tough if they were willing to go into the tax because like if you sign right. Paul Millsap and Jeremy Grant to new deals like you could be right at the tax line and that team's not going to go into the tax and so like that's where it gets tough but yeah I mean like they right. they have the flexibility to pay Jeremy Grant fifteen million dollars exactly. a year and so if you're the Suns yeah. why are you clearing the space to go after a player um, which right. is the predicament that teams will look at with Sarich it's like why do we want to tie up our cap space exactly. for forty eight hours in someone who we're exactly. not going to get yep and I think that's definitely something that could happen I think. Uh, Christian Wood, I think, is a guy that a lot of Suns fans have looked at. Davis Bertans. The tough part is for everyone. I think it's not just uh, guys, prognosticators like us that try and figure out what these guys are going to make. But uh, I think even for the NBA teams is understanding the market. Like you said, not a lot of teams that have space. How many of these guys are now just going to sign for the MLE? And how do you plan for that? And how do you plan for that as a team that didn't even make the playoffs? Like you have to convince these guys when there's a little bit more of a market at an MLE level uh, than than without that. You know, the Suns have been rumored to even look at Fred Van Vliet, uh, which I just don't see any way possible uh, of doing that. Not that I would hate it. I actually would. I think he would be really interesting next to Devin Booker. I just don't see it possible. But then you look at when you're talking about the backup guard spot, you, you look at like smaller moves like DJ Augustine, Alec Burks are guys that could come in and actually be relatively good bench pieces, but they're just not needle movers. Mm-hmm. But I will say like you fix, they didn't have a backup point guard or a backup shooting guard that was valuable this last season. <laughs> like you fix, you fix those roles. I think it'll have a bigger difference than mo- most people realize. Uh, they're just not exciting to talk about. If they and look, Christian Wood could end up falling into the same category as just Jeremy Grant because yeah. he also he also kind of feels like someone that cap space teams might go after. Like a Charlotte, I think is yeah. the one that's been linked to him most. Uh, but if if Christian Wood is someone who's like piqued Phoenix's interest and they're like kind of looking to fill that combo big role without spending too much, I think I will now have successfully said every team should should sign him. But Chris Boucher from Toronto is someone yes. who's intrigued me. It's just someone he's proved that he could shoot the three, not necessarily well for a sustainably long period of time, but he shot well in the bubble. And he's just like a pogo stick when he's protecting right. the rim. And he can really that. like he can give you the four or the five minutes. And so if you need a cost effective option, we're talking about another early bird restricted free agent. So his max isn't too high. I don't know that you would need to go that high to get him from Toronto. Um, right. especially with, you know, they have Siakam, Abaka's a free agent, who knows what's gonna happen with Casal there so but he would be just like a 
Uh, I don't think he's going to – people have said, like, oh, could he be the next Christian Wood? And I don't really see, like, him being able to put the ball on the floor as well. But he's mm-hmm. definitely going to be a better defender, I think. And I, I would assume that he'll get a third. Or, like, you know, like, if, if he gets more than 5 to $7 million a year, I would be surprised. Right. Uh, that's excellent. And that's actually somebody that uh, my co-host Sam has brought up before. So that that's a great name. Somebody that we haven't talked about in a while. So I'm going to steal that from you if you don't mind. Oh, yeah. No, that's fine <laughs> with me. Um, so I look, I just I don't even know how Chris Paul then affects what they do in free agency because we don't know if they're using cap space or not yet. I do think there would still be a path regardless of what you do that if you get Chris Paul, um, you're still able to use the the full MLE without going yes. into the tax. The issue becomes though, like, who are you, sp- like, what do you still need? Because if you're using cap space to help get Chris Paul, so now it's okay, Aaron Baines and Dario Saric are, are both just yeah. gone. And so that changes what big. you're looking for. Yeah, backup big would be the first thing that you look at. And there's a chance they could keep Sheck Diallo in that case, but that's not a, I, like that, you'd prefer him to be your third big uh, in a lot of ways. And I think that's, you know, it's interesting though, because we haven't done a lot of, we haven't talked a lot about filling those roles because you just assume they have options there. But with Chris Paul in the mix, uh, that changes things. <laughs> you got to look at different things. Uh, and also, what do. does it do for the Suns' appeal in free agency where it's some of these veteran guys? And I think you could look in yeah. particular at the big man spaces where these guys are going to get squeezed anyway. Like, yes. is Paul Millsap like, hey, like I'll go play in yeah. Phoenix for the minimum? But maybe, maybe I'm going too far, like low on his value because he could get clearly right. more than that. But you know, for half the not like for five million a year, I'll go play in Phoenix or I'll play it biannual uh, money in Phoenix. And so having Chris Paul, I think, does give you that magnetic pull yes, um, to absolutely. other free agents, so long as he's happy to be there, obviously. Yeah, and I think a combination of Chris Paul and Monty Williams, who's relatively well liked, I think people understand what they're going to get into if they signed with the team. Uh, you know, I, I think could make a, a difference when looking at that. But the, the market, like we've talked about, uh, it's just it's it feels a little unpredictable in a way that previous years have not. Uh, at least we have a cap number now for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we, we understand that it's going to be 109, and we can actually sort of make uh, assumptions based on that. But yeah, if, if Chris Paul's there, I think uh, there's a chance they still look at a different starting power forward. Like maybe you don't want to start Cameron Johnson in his second year in the NBA. Maybe you do want to try and find someone like Paul Millsap or somebody else. Um, like Jay Crowder, I'm not sure how much he's going to make uh, somebody like that to slip into that role. That would be excellent, but um, it's it's tough to know uh, how to fill out that team without understanding the deal entirely. And so this was an actual question I'd written down was, would you consider a deal for CP3? And so I'll just, there was another part of the, the general question was, there any trade targets you have your eye on? And so I'll say, aside from CP3, that you would be interested <laughs> in for, if you're the Suns. Assume let's say the CP3 deal doesn't go through because uh, the fact that we haven't even heard like relative package framework is right. a little weird to me. So it's let's assume it falls away, through. Right? Yeah. Well, I think I think if anything, the CP3 rumors, if anything, it proves that he might be open to it, which I think makes a big difference with Chris Paul because it's still a Robert Sarver owned team. But right. beyond that, uh, we're, to me, we still have, I think you kind of have to go in on a guard regardless um, because you have an advantage of wings being on rookie deals. Kelly Oubre, if you keep him on a relatively cheap deal for what he does and then Deandre Ayton on a rookie deal, that means you have a little extra money to spend on a guard. If you want to do it, obviously with Devin Booker making the line share of that money, Drew Holiday, Spencer Dinwiddie, those are guys that have come up uh, with a lot of regularity. We actually 
just did a podcast on that yesterday, or just released it yesterday. Right, and I listened to that one. I love the the Dinwiddie idea you guys had, and I I feel like you might have even had it earlier in the year too, like leading mm-hmm. into this trade deadline. I love the Dinwiddie mm-hmm. fit in Phoenix. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. One trade we made up on the fly on that uh, episode was for Schroeder. We're trying to find a way to fill the backup guard position without getting rid of Kelly Oubre because I think if you're going to do the minor moves, like the non-Chris Paul moves, then you should try to keep all three of those wings if you can just to see what it's like uh, because I think the best fit around Devin Booker and DeAndre in are switchable wings like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you can keep them, you should. And and one of the moves we made up was like a trade uh Frank Kaminsky in the 10th pick for Dennis Schroeder in the 25th pick is something that we pitched uh, to our OKC friends. And they actually like that. And I like it, too, because Schroeder, you know, he he wants to start and maybe he wouldn't like coming off the bench for Ricky Rubio. But I still think he would. Uh, But it'd be nice for a single year. It's tough to go up that 10th pick. But if you have that 25th pick and you can get a guy like Grant Riller or Desmond Bain uh, with that 25th pick, it becomes a little more palatable. I think almost interesting in a lot of ways. Uh, if you want to keep Kelly Oubre. Uh, but, you know, compared to a Chris Paul trade, it doesn't sound all that exciting. No, obviously anything they do now is not because it's not going to be Chris Paul. We're talking about someone yeah. who finished All-NBA this year. Uh, the Dinwiddie one, as you guys mentioned on your podcast, is tough to work out because the Suns' best package is not going to interest Brooklyn per se just because they're right. not going to be interested in picks or prospects. Right. And so their best route to getting him would be to latch into a three-team deal that Brooklyn's already having. And I don't even think you guys mentioned Drew Holiday. The yeah. the framework there is just still it, almost it, impossible. Yeah, and so I think you're the Suns would be in a better spot if Brooklyn needs a third team to complete complete a Bradley Beal deal because then uh, the number ten pick just becomes so much more valuable. Where in that right. scenario you're imagining Brooklyn's almost certainly giving up Levert and Dinwiddie, and so Washington with three years left on Levert's deal can definitely talk themselves into okay, we'll take Levert. He's a little older, twenty six, but he's really good. He's locked up. Um, but we don't want Dinwiddie. And so like that's when the Suns, it would be easier for them to get involved. I love that. That's a really great point. Yeah, and I think Dinwiddie would be a great fit. I, I just think he would look really good on that team and, and fix all the bench problems immediately and on a good salary. He is a free agent. I think he has a, a player option that he's definitely going to decline uh, after this year and sign some sort of weird Bitcoin deal or whatever, <laughs> whatever <Right>. he tries <laughs> to sign. Uh, but I think he would be a really great fit. I, I think it's it's sort of fascinating to picture him next to Devin Booker in lineups just sort of as the the backcourt I you know that's two guys that play relatively similarly actually uh but Dinwiddie can really create off of off the dribble from that three-point line and and that makes that pretty unguardable too uh so yeah I I really like that fit a lot something that Sam uh, my co-host uh once again has really been hammering home and and I I definitely agree it's a really good fit there's, and there are not a lot of options out there when looking because I tried to look at guards specifically. And so, like, the point guard market in free agency is just it, it's, it's terrible. terrible after Fred Van Fleet. It's, and it's Fred Van Fleet or DJ Augustine. Like, right. <laughs> those are your options. It's either a guy for $22 million that's making too much, or you try and compete with other teams that are using part of their MLE for DJ Augustine, and he's probably going to go to a contender if he can. So, it's just a, it's it's not a great market. I agree. And even but and then even the trade market is a little naked too. And like the names right. you could come up with is like Patty Mills, just not someone who's going to come in and run the offense. Right. Uh, Thomas Sadaransky is like eh, like I I wouldn't hate that. Uh, but that as like your big like solution to the let's just call it the no Booker minutes essentially. Like I don't I right. don't know how I feel about that. And so like it right. just gets really difficult to like the answer's not in free agency in all likelihood. For them. No, it doesn't appear so. And then it just gets really even hard to find like something that they could pursue via trade. It definitely would be easier for them to address the 
the four spot via trade? And are there any names that you zero in on like there? Cough, Aaron Gordon, cough. <laughs> I mean, Aaron Gordon is somebody that I'm not fully against the idea of. What do you, when you talk about Aaron Gordon as a potential trade partner, how do you view that deal? Like, what do you think it could be? Maybe it's something like Kelly Oubre Jr. and uh, number 10 for Aaron Gordon and number 15 or something else. Um, I don't know if number 15 and Gordon is too much. I view Gordon as the, the better player in that deal, not necessarily someone I'd want to give up number 10 with for a loan when you're giving up Kelly Oubre Jr., but I think he's a better fit for Phoenix's roster given what he can do just defensively and then being able to soak up like those small ball five minutes as, as kind of a backup center. Like he sort of fills right. two holes for them. Yeah, I think I, I don't hate it. And I for a couple of reasons, I don't hate it. I think he, he signed longer at a relatively good deal, uh, which I think is nice because then you're not in that situation immediately with Kelly Oubre that you would be at the end of the season. I think they I think their value is relatively close. Like I think Aaron Gordon is a little bit better. And I think the reason I think he's a little bit better is he's a little more focused defensively and he's a better passer where, where Kelly Oubre just doesn't pass. Um, it's just not <laughs> something that he does right. uh, currently. So I think that makes makes a big difference. So I don't hate it. Uh, but he just not like the shooting is so inconsistent that it's just hard to picture what the offense would look like. And if you look at if you look at every single thing that James Jones says when he talks about this team, I mean, it's James Jones. Like, how did he play in the NBA? He was a shooter. He wants shooters. Like, I think that's just something <laughs> he wants. And look at who he picked. He picked himself in the draft <laughs> last year in Cameron Johnson. Like, this is a guy who wants to, you know, and I, I don't I don't know that he's the type of guy that James Jones would like. I think the ideal situation is a shooter who's relatively good at team defense at the very best. Um, but I don't hate it. I, I, I don't think it's a bad trade. I just don't know if it's like a massive needle mover. Of note, he did shoot 36.1% on catch and shoot threes after January 1st. I also believe he fell off a cliff though on that number post all-star break. And it, I feel like that's something that's cyclical with Aaron Gordon is he always shoots yeah. better um, towards the end of the season, but not really the whole end of the season. Like then he'll trail off. Yeah. I, I still uh, just, I guess because of what he does for them could do for them positionally for defense. I, yeah. I view him as a better player than Ubre in a vacuum. And I consider him actually a much better fit for this roster. And I do look, the contract's a part of that two years left on a declining yeah. scale. Yeah. I think that makes a difference too. Yeah. So, you know, I don't hate it, uh, but I don't love it either. <laughs> um, so what is the, and look, now that Chris Paul information is within this, what does the ideal offseason look like for the Suns in terms of like the, the whole shebang of free agents? They resign, they poach, who yeah. they drafted 10. And if you need to work in the Chris Paul trade at this point, like go for it. Look, I think the best possible team, if we're just talking about next season, is a Chris Paul team. I, I just think it is. And I think you can argue, well, could that be the best team during the regular season, right? This might be a condensed season, hopefully less travel. That would help a guy like Chris Paul. And maybe he gets injured. Maybe it's not the best team in the regular season. But I think it is. I still think it is. And I think ultimately in the playoffs, as we talked about, when their minutes increase, that just it's just a beautiful fit uh, you know, all around. But if you don't do that, I think what you have to do is you have to shop Kelly Oubre. You just have to. You have to see what's out there. And then marginally as well, I think Ricky Rubio, uh, just to see if you can improve. But as we talked about, the point guard market's just not that great. And if you're trying to move a guy like Ricky Rubio, it's going to be hard to get an upgrade as far as uh, you know fit next to Devin mm -hmm. Booker. So that really doesn't look great to me. Um, I pitched – like if you want to make a massive move, I you know there's rumors that the – 
Warriors were willing to trade the second pick for the 10th and Kelly Oubre. I pitched trading the 10th and Kelly Oubre for the second pick and then packaging the second pick and DeAndre Ayton for Bradley Beal and just trying to pair Bradley Beal next to Devin Booker. That's like a massive, massive move. Um, But it's a really good, like, package for Bradley Beal as far as the uh the wizards are concerned um at that point you you need to call houston at james about james harden though just with with all the weird stuff that's going on there (laughs) yeah and actually that's an excellent point you know if you want to look at massive massive moves that we that's what you do but at that point you're blowing up something they've built for a long time good uh, you know great teams trade good players that's something that happens relatively regularly so i'm not fully against that i'm gonna tell you right now a lot of suns fans hate when i talk about stuff like this but i think when you have a guy like devin booker that's at the level that he is currently at all options have to be on the table because there's a chance that he could have like one of the best offensive, uh, high load offensive seasons next, next season, a Kevin Durant type offensive season. That's possible out of Devin Booker next year. And like, you know, you look at OKC and I brought this up on our podcast before you look at OKC with Kevin Durant, that window was open earlier than they thought. And then they never made it back to the finals, uh, with that. With right. that yeah. That's a great point. So sometimes you look at these guys and say, oh, next year it could be that year where he has that Kevin Durant-level season. And right now, if you want to look at what the value is for DeAndre Ayton, right now is not the worst time to do it uh, as far as just seeing what's out there. Um, but you know that that's that's kind of a massive, massive thing. And who knows if that lines up to what people want. It's just something to look at. Like LaMelo Ball and DeAndre Ayton on the Wizards, kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a fun team. Uh, but beyond that, Fixing the bench, if you can, if like if there's no big upgrades that you can get out of trading Ricky Rubio and Kelly Uri, which I think there likely isn't, other than the potential Chris Paul trade that's on, you know, rumored now. Uh, then you have to fix the bench as much as possible. And uh, I think if you can find another guy that's sort of in that mid-contract level, um, like, you know, we talked about Dennis Schroeder, uh, and if you can keep a pick. That's particularly good. That's good because what you're doing is you're loading up on contracts that are a little more tradable in the midseason. Like if you have two $15 million guys like Dennis Schroeder and Kelly Oubre and you want to make a trade in the middle of the season, that's not the worst thing to have. Like that's a nice thing to have. So it's tough because I want the best team possible. So I kind of always go back to the Chris Paul thing in my mind. I just don't think it's the worst. Uh, But you got to take swings if you can. But if you can't, if nothing makes sense, fix the bench as much as possible and see if you can fight for that eighth seed. Not the most fun offseason. And, and look, that's why the Chris Paul move might, and this is odd to say about someone who's so good and makes so much money, but it kind of straddles the fence because I don't think you need to short circuit your future in any way to do it. But you bring up a great point in that like people will point to be like, well, Devin Booker has four years left on his deal. Like there's no urgency there. And like, no, the goal isn't to get to the final year of his deal so that he can force a trade or the final year and a half. Like you need to maximize the time you have with him. The fact that you've already maxed him out is your timeline. Like you have a max player who deserves it. He's on your roster and whether he can be the best player in a title contending team. Yes, that remains to be seen, but he's top 25, top 20. Like he he's there now. And so like, that is your urgency. And I feel like, uh, at least nationally, and maybe even when you localize it, fans get too caught up in, well, like there's no urgency there because he's not almost a free agent. And it's like, well, you're not trying to win just in the year before his contract's up. Like, that's not how this works. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think uh, you just, you know, as fans, you get attached to the players that you draft and you just want to see those guys be good. You want to win with them. Uh, you know, there were some Lakers fans that were worried about trading Kuzma for AD. You know, that's that's the type of thing that fans do. Uh, they're just worried about those types of things. So I, I understand why fans do that. But I think, yeah, you know, I, I think Devin Booker 
has made a leap every single season. He's gotten better every single season. And he was really good this year. If he gets better next year, you, you got to treat him like he's ready. You got to, at right. some point, you paid him like, like he's ready. ready. So, like, that's like, so I, I would treat him like he's ready anyway. And I would think definitely after this past season. But yeah, if, if he's going to have that type of year, like, how do you not view this as a, as a win now situation? And no, that's not a license to go full Knicks here. But it's, <laughs> it's like the, the Chris Paul trade. Like, yeah, that's a middle ground. I think you could argue, um, you're talking about Beal, but like, if a move like that presented itself, like outside Chris Paul, where, yeah, it's going to cost you some future assets, but like you are sort of on that timeline. You don't need to be reckless, but I do think you need – it needs to be you know, not even open-minded. I'd probably call, call it like an active aggression. Yeah. Uh, to me, if you can get Bradley Beal and Devin Booker on the same team, you're creating one of the greatest offensive backcourts of all time, and you'll be fine. <laughs> you'll figure it out from there. Uh, you have options at that point. Teams become a lot easier to build when you have two offensive superstars than just one. Right. For sure. So I don't hate it. The yeah. final question I have for you is me throwing it to you. Is there anything I missed you wanted to discuss? Or just what's the biggest misrepresentation or most undercovered thing about this team right now? I think a continuity of front office and coaching staff matters a lot uh, in the NBA. I think just having guys that speak the language that you speak matters a lot. And I think a lot of people are discounting how much that's going to matter for Devin Booker and the guys that stay on this team going forward. Just having a guy like Monty Williams, who they like, uh, they trust, they understand, and they have a relationship with, and he's not going to be fired. (laughs) (laughs) And I think those types of things matter. And with Robert Sarver, some of those firings were the right move. I think Ryan McDonough did a terrible job as the general manager of the Phoenix Suns. The firing was at a weird time, but fire that guy. He did a bad job. He picked the wrong guys just about every single draft that he drafted outside Devin Booker so definitely let him go through another draft in free agency first though before you find <laughs> yeah and pick the wrong guy uh but <laughs> it is what it is I mean you have sometimes you have to fire guys and uh, there's no right timing for it but now they don't I think now they have the right group I, I I tend to trust James Jones and maybe I shouldn't but the fact that the Cam Johnson move worked out a little bit I think matters but I think going forward continuity will matter the other thing I want to say is that was really great timing to record this podcast, Dan, because, <laughs> because that news came out. I mean, within the first 20 minutes of this podcast, all of a sudden the entire tenor of the podcast changed. And now you can use that to market this podcast. I don't know if you had some inside knowledge or something, but uh, feel free to share it with me. Yeah, I, I definitely have um, knowledge of the inner workings of how Brian Windhorst is going to report things. <laughs> that is definitely something I'm a specialist in. Uh, the one thing I've been seeing since the news came out is there are many – there. I don't want to say people are overvaluing Chris Paul, but a lot of these deals have the Suns giving up an awful lot. Yeah. I've seen too many proposals right. with their 2021 pick. Or Mikael Bridges, yeah. Uh, first of uh, all, no. Mikael Bridges yeah. is one of the two most untouchable players in the NBA behind Frank Nielakina. And so like that so, just needs to that needs to yes. stop. But the, the one thing I tell people, I have consistently told people about Chris Paul throughout this time, is that he will be traded for less than you think. I think that is the main thing that's going to happen because there's just not a lot of ways for contenders to make the space for him and their picks are valueless for a team like OKC that has 400 picks. Uh, It's just, I think he's going to be moved for less than people realize. Yeah, and if they get more, I I think that'll probably say, be an indicator of the team that they were dealing with rather than Chris Paul's value itself. Like if the Knicks come in at the 11th hour here and they're like, (laughs) take all our future picks. Uh, But would you give up? a protected 2021 pick for Chris Paul, because in theory, the value of that pick should be less, but it's even just 
the way people talk about that draft class, and I have not dug into it in the slightest, like I'd have to put like lottery protection on it to feel even okay, just because if you're in the Western Conference, yeah. the reality is that, yeah, you could trade for Chris Paul, but you also might finish in the lottery. If you can, if you can keep the 10th pick this year and then lottery protect it next year, I think I would. Okay. Uh, if you're giving up the 10th pick this year and then you're also including another pick next year, I just don't think you have to. Like I, I just think you can get him for less for less than that. I'm gonna be interested to see one where he goes. If it, I hope it's Phoenix. Like I wanted to see him go to a dark horse or uh, Milwaukee would have been fun just to uh, play with Giannis. But if it's not gonna be Milwaukee, I hope it's Phoenix. That was a that was a fantastic time to record this podcast. Thank you for giving me <laughs> 90 minutes on the air. Uh, this yeah. was great, Mike. If you guys are not following it. him on Twitter, uh, he is Mike Vhill at Protected Pick, spelled exactly it. as it sounds. Uh, and definitely check out the Timeline Podcast, uh, part of the Blue Wire podcast network you can follow them on twitter as well at the timeline pod spelled exactly as it sounds i love these handles that i don't have to spell out so thank you uh rest assured i will be pestering you again in the future so thank you so much for coming on i'm looking forward to it sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.